Hey church, it's Pastor Graham. Welcome back to my office in the basement. I know we were hoping never to come back here, but here we are, you know, we're in another lockdown and we're making the best that we can. So say hi in the chat. Let us know which of the Elam Chapel satellite locations you're tuning in from, whether you're watching from a, a Reimer house or, or a Botkin house, maybe a Collinville house, or maybe you're watching from a Thomas house or a Waters house or a Menzies house. You let us know where you're tuning in from and we're excited to see you here today. So today we're going to be talking about the week. We're in week four of our sermon series called Wherever You Go. And we're going to be talking about Jacob. Oh, before I forget, today is Communion Sunday. So make sure that you've got something nearby so that you can participate in that. Whatever is really going to do something, something bready and something juicy. Doesn't really matter what it is. As long as you, you feel that you can participate in communion, it doesn't have to be bread per se. It doesn't have to be grape juice. It can even be wine if you really want. It's a little early for my taste, but you know, you do you. Before we get in, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that we can share your word. Thank you that your word is always life to us. We pray that you would encounter us today, Lord, that you would meet us where we are, that we'd be surprised by you. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we are focusing on the story of Jacob, a man who wanted so badly to be someone else. Let's start reading in Genesis chapter 25. We'll start at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Padar of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Mother's Day next week, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? Good Mother's Day verse. She went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. There's a, there's a story in my family from when I was very young. I had a, a collection of Hot Wheels cars, race cars mostly. And one day my parents asked me which was my favorite. And I proudly held up a little Formula One racer. It was red and it had the number 10 emblazoned across the nose as Formula racers tend to. And I proudly pro proclaimed the name of this favored toy, Red Tenny. Yes, that's right. I named that car my favorite car based on its color and the name on it. The car is red and it has the number 10, so obviously it should be called Red Tenny. The story is so legendary that my parents referred to my mother's mountain bike as Big Yellowy. Three guesses as to what color that bicycle was. Apparently, Isaac and Rebecca took a similar tack when naming their children. Their first child comes out red and covered in hair, so they name him Harry. That's what Esau means. It means hairy. 
and let's be clear here. This doesn't seem to mean Harry like a normal man, like I'm a Harry dude. Later, when Jacob pretends to be Esau, he covers his arms in goat skins. That's like a lot of hair. Like, think of a short-haired dog, how their fur is wiry and coarse, and that's kind of what goatskins are like. Esau is not a hairy man like me. Esau is hairy like, like cousin it. Duran Duran might have been hungry like the wolf, but Esau was hairy like the yeti. The name Esau also appears to bear some relationship to the word for red, and that's where the word for the nation that Esau founded comes from, Edom. The nation of Edom appears plenty throughout the rest of scripture, and it's worth knowing that they come from this man, Esau. So they have a boy, a red and hairy child, and they name him Big Red Harry. And then the second twin comes out, and he's holding on to Esau's heel. So they name him Jacob, which apparently means heel grabber. And that's a Hebrew idiom. It means deceiver. Like, think of our English idiom, pulling your leg. Usually we mean that in a humorous context, like telling a joke or a prank. But if you think about it, you can see how pulling your leg has an element of deception in it, right? right? Like there, there's a trick involved. Well, the name Jacob has none of that humor element. It's all deception. Jacob is described as smooth, which like when you're standing next to Bigfoot doesn't really mean all that much. But again, smooth is a word that we associate with deceivers, right? He was a smooth con man. So we have these two brothers. One is a giant furry dude, and the other one is a smooth con man. Do you know who that makes me think of? Han Solo and Chewbacca. I don't know about you. That's who it makes me think of. You know, this pair, and here's Esau, and here's Jacob. And that's what it makes me think of. Maybe it'll make you think of that too now. I gotta say, I feel for these boys. For both of them. Reputation can be a hard thing, especially when it's a bad reputation. Though, a good reputation carries its own difficulty sometimes. But these men, their reputation, their very names, are based on things they don't even control. Jacob wasn't even conscious when they named him Heel Grabber. Esau has no control over what his skin looks like. I've encountered this in my own life, haven't you? Was there something that you did, some way that you acted, maybe when you were young and foolish, a teenager or even a child, something that you'd like to leave behind, and maybe, maybe you have left it behind, and you're making great progress on yourself, but people around you won't let you forget and they keep plugging you back into those holes, the way my story about Red Tenny keeps coming up. We want so desperately to escape those labels, to escape that reputation, that thing we don't want to be associated with. So, let's keep reading. Genesis 25, starting in verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, <coughs> Oh, right, sorry, English. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Which is why he was called Edom, right? Red stew. And Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. I'm about to die. I, I'm getting tired of this, but you got the idea. 
Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Jacob channeled his inner Batman and said, Swear to me! Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Esau gave, Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Being the firstborn in the ancient world came with two major advantages, the birthright and the blessing. The blessing comes later, but the birthright has to do with inheritance. In the ancient world, there was no retirement savings plan. You didn't invest in RRSPs or 401ks. You had kids. And it was the responsibility of the firstborn to care for the parents in their old age. But this came with a perk. When you did the inheritance, you would make an extra portion. So if there were three kids, you'd split the inheritance four ways. If there were five kids, you'd split it six ways. And then the eldest would get two portions. What's more, the birthright entailed that the eldest would also inherit the father's position of leadership over the family, a very important thing in the ancient world. Jacob uses cunning and guile to gain the birthright from his brother Esau. And that too is where calling him heel grabber comes in. When the boys were born, Jacob was literally trying to be the first one out. He was trying to make himself go first or pull Esau back. Well, I mean, he was probably just holding on to something the way the babies do, but the symbolism involved shouldn't be ignored. But that wasn't the end for Jacob trying to supplant his brother Esau. In Genesis 27, we read the story of Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau. First he got the birthright, now he's after the blessing. I'm worried about time, so I'll summarize the story for you instead of reading it. Isaac is pretty old at this point, and he has gone apparently quite blind. Now, Isaac was pretty in the wrong here, because this whole story happens while Isaac thinks that he's going to die, but he doesn't die for at least 20 years after this story. So blind Isaac grabs his firstborn, Esau, and he promises to bless him, but he asks Esau to bring him his favorite food first, which, like, that's a jerk move. Let's be real. I mean, what are you doing asking for something in return for your blessing? Sometimes the Bible gives great parenting advice, and sometimes the Bible gives great what-not-to-do parenting advice. So Esau wants the blessing, so off he goes into the field. Rebecca, however, wants her favorite, Jacob, to get the blessing, so they hatch a scheme. And let's be fair to Rebecca here. Jacob isn't a kid. Jacob, in this part of the story, is at least 40 years old. At least. Some scholars think that he was in his 60s, and others think that he was more like 75 or 76. At any rate, Jacob is not some hot-headed teenager in this story. So, Rebecca makes the food, Jacob puts goat skins on his body so he feels like Esau. Again, how hairy was this dude? Like, really, apparently. So Jacob takes the food, the Bible calls it tasty food, and he goes in to his father. Isaac asks, who is it? And Jacob at this point is fully responsible for the deception. He can't blame this on his mother at this point. In 2719, we read that Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Long story short, the deception works. And Isaac gives Jacob the blessing, even though Jacob was pretending to be Esau. Jacob wanted that blessing so badly, he was even willing to lie about who he was. 
Talk about imposter syndrome. Jacob's blessing was quite literally due to him tricking someone else. That's something I can relate to, though. That feeling that you're not enough, that you need to pretend to be someone else. It, especially in a Christian context. Like, there's definitely a Graham that I want to be. A Graham who is more closely conformed to the image of the sun. Who doesn't laugh at jokes that he shouldn't, who doesn't watch violent movies or engage in escapist fantasy. Fill in the blanks in your own life. Jacob takes this to a whole new level, but I think it's a problem that we can all relate to on some level. So Esau comes back expecting to receive his father's blessing, and he discovers that Jacob has already taken it. We might say that hijinks ensue, but it wouldn't be much of a fight. Remember, Esau grew up to be a hunter, and Jacob liked to remain among the tents. That means that Jacob is good in the kitchen, but Esau is good with a gun. Jacob, with the encouragement of his parents, decides that this would be a good time to make himself scarce, and he runs. But as he is running, as he's about to leave the land which has been promised to his fathers, frankly, to return to the land that Abraham was ordered to leave... Jacob has an experience of God. As far as the text is concerned, this is Jacob's first encounter of God. Oh, sure, he grew up in a good God-fearing home, and he's used God as an excuse, and he's given God lip service, but he hasn't experienced God until now. Jacob lays down for the night at a place that would come to be known as Bethel, and he meets God. This is the beginning of Jacob's turn toward goodness. Jacob reiterates or God reiterates his promises that he made to Abraham, but this time he makes them to Jacob. Jacob, who by all measures has betrayed the covenant. Jacob is leaving the land. He's returning to the land that God told them to leave. He's betrayed his brother. He's betrayed his father. And yet, this is the promise of God. Genesis 28:15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When I pray for my children, for my friends and family who are far from God, the thing that I always pray is that they would encounter him. It's also what I pray for our Sunday mornings, that we would encounter God. Because meeting God is not the sort of thing that you leave the same way that you came in. Jacob meets God, and it sets him on a new path. But that path is still muddied by his past. Jacob is still trying to do things his way. He goes to his uncle Laban, and he engages in a 20-year game of spy versus spy of two rogues trying to out-scoundrel each other. We'll have more on that next week when Paul shares. But I think there's something here for us Christians who are struggling in our walk with God. Have you ever encountered God and been changed, but, like, not enough? You can feel your edges coming off, but there's still so much work to be done. Well, many years later, Jacob has been married and become a father. It's, it's at least 20 years later. It might even be more. But he is returning to the land that God has promised his fathers. And Jacob meets God again. Jacob the heel grabber the one who has manipulated and tricked his way into getting what he wants and has found trouble as a result. Jacob has a lot more work to do. Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. 
So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? And this, this feels like Jacob's encounter with Isaac. When Isaac asked him, What is your name? Who are you? But this time, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Jacob, who has spent his whole life trying to be someone else, who has struggled to overcome this name that's been put on him, who has lived up to his name on more occasions than he'd like to admit, meets God and everything changes. God even gives him a new name. And isn't this what happens with us? Jesus finds us in our mess as we wander in and out of the place that God has promised us, trying to do all of this in our own power, and Jesus puts his hand on our shoulder, and he reminds us that the real fight is not with ourselves or with the world around us, that the real fight is to know God. That when we keep that fight front and center, when we're winning at that fight, everything else falls into place. Not just to meet God, but to meet God again and again until all of those edges are worn off. It's so easy to focus on other things. Even, even when we're in lockdown and thinking of how we're so bored and there's nothing to do and we wish that we could see our friends and family, and we still struggle to keep that relationship with God central. Turns out we aren't too busy. It's just who we are. As Christians, we often think about the big turning to God, that repentance and transformation that accompanies conversion. As Colossians 1 puts it, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And if that's the place you're in, then today is the day. Don't wait. Turn to God. Start your journey of faith. But maybe that's not the repentance that you need today. Maybe today you need a Jacob encounter, a new meeting with God, where you remember what is really real, what needs to be central in your life, and where the important fight really is. This is the battle that will fight all of our lives, but we fight it together. We gather at church, we gather around screens, we meet in small groups and call each other up just to encourage one another in this fight of keeping God on the throne of our lives. So as we go into a new week and a new lockdown, let's remember the words of God, spoken to Jacob and spoken to you, echoed in our theme verse for this series from Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jacob. Thank you for the ways that we see ourselves in the story of Jacob and that you used him despite his, boy, flaws as an understatement, the massive imperfections that we see in that man, Lord. But we also see these great imperfections in ourselves and you use us anyway. Thank you for that, God. We praise you. 
be with us this week. Amen.